0: <laughs> We're over the first hurdle. As uh, as Pastor Seth mentioned, next week uh, Pastor Jeremy will will be beginning a uh, little over a year long series on Isaiah. That's how the British say it. In Isaiah. So um, I'm going to do my best to scare you guys off this morning. So please come back next week when Jeremy returns to the pulpit. Uh, today I'm going to talk about something that's very serious and very terrible. And in a moment, I'll give you an idea of where we're going in the next 30 minutes. But before we go there, will you please join me in prayer? Father, it's a great privilege and awesome responsibility to stand before your people and to open up your word. And I'm not worthy of this responsibility. I pray that you would be with me this morning, that the words that I speak would be true, that because they're your words, they would have power. Lord, I pray most of all that what you hear would bring you glory. I ask this in Jesus' name. The people of the Lord said, Amen. Today I want to address an important, yet extremely unpopular topic. The topic is hell. Some of you have already looked at your sermon notes in the bulletin there and figured that that's what I'm preaching on this morning, and I noticed no one left. That's a good sign. But in the next 30 minutes, I want to briefly look at five different positions that people take on this topic they believe about hell and then quickly I want to do an overview of what Jesus teaches about hell and then I want to conclude by trying to answer the legitimate question why preach on a topic so repulsive and terrible is hell so if you take out your bulletins if you haven't already inside it you'll find sermon notes that look like this if this helps you stay awake and stay attentive I'd encourage you to use that I'm not as easy to listen to as Jeremy, so you're going to have to work a little harder this morning. Um, But that's okay for you guys to work hard. Since I have to work pretty hard, it's okay for you to do some hard work, too. Um, According to Robert A. Peterson in his book, Hell on Trial, there are five possible positions or views a person can hold regarding hell. And very briefly, they are the agnostic atheist view, and that is life after death is unlikely. Life after death is unlikely. Either there is no hell or the possibility of hell is unlikely. John Lennon popularized this view when he sang, imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us. Above us only sky. Secondly, there's a universalist view. universalist view. And simply that is that everyone goes to heaven. Everyone goes to heaven. Hell may indeed exist. But with the possible exception of the devil and his demons, hell is empty. No one goes there. Thirdly, there's the post-mortem evangelism view. Unbelievers get a second chance after death. This is a view that's held by the Roman Catholic Church, and it's a topic for another sermon on another day. We won't address that this morning. Fourthly, we have the annihilationist view. Unbelievers are ultimately destroyed. Unbelievers are ultimately destroyed. People who are rightly and justly judged to hell will suffer for a time and then cease to exist. This is a position that some well-respected pastors and scholars who claim to be from within the evangelical tradition now adhere to. Men such as John Stott and Clark Pinnock. And finally, we had the Orthodox Christian view the orthodox Christian view. Unbelievers suffer eternally in hell. Now, if I were free to choose from this menu, I would select position number two, the universalist position. It's a wonderful sentiment to think that everyone goes to heaven. It's politically correct. It's postmodern. It's tolerant of other faiths. It's positive, optimistic, cheery, hopeful, non-discriminating, It's the view that I was taught as a child, and it's the view that most of my family of origin still holds to. For me, and I would guess for others as well, universalism would be the most comfortable and comforting and least conflictual position to take regarding hell. As a Christian, a Christ follower, there's only one problem with universalism. It's not in harmony with what Jesus Christ teaches about hell. So what does Jesus Christ teach about hell? Jesus Christ teaches that hell is true, terrible, timeless, and this was a stretch to get a T, tenanted, that there are tenants, people there. Jeremy said I could say tons of people, but I went with tenanted instead. (laughs) So if you prefer tons of people, that works just as well. But I'm going to try to be really smart to say tenanted. Let's take these one at a time. Open your Bibles, if you would, to Mark chapter chapter nine, verses forty-two to forty-eight. Mark nine, forty-two to forty-eight. It's on page one thousand one in the Pew Bibles. We're going to be moving around pretty quickly in the Gospels this morning, just getting kind of an overview of what Jesus teaches about hell. All the passages that we're going to look at are Jesus' words, his teachings. Um. So Mark 9:42 through 48. And if anyone causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin, it would be better for him to be thrown into the sea with a large millstone tied around his neck. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go into hell where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet And be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell, where their worm never dies. Excuse me, their worm does not die, and the fire is not quenched. I believe that Jesus is using hyperbole here. We'd all be hopping around with one hand, one foot, and one eye if we were to take this uh, teaching on self-mutilation literally. But that doesn't mean that hell isn't real. Hell is the truth. If hell were not true, if hell were not a reality, why would Jesus have given his followers such a stern, demanding, and threatening warning? Why would Jesus use such strong hyperbole if hell were only an idea and not a place? A real threat. No, hell is true. It's not simply an idea or a concept. Hell's not a state of mind. Jesus teaches that hell exists. It's an actual place. Regarding this passage, the Expositor's Bible Commentary states, and I quote, The word translated hell is Gehenna, a Greek form of the Hebrew words Ge-Hinnom, Valley of Hinnom. This was a valley along the south side of the city of Jerusalem, which was used in Old Testament times for human sacrifices the pagan god Molech. King, King Josiah put a stop to this dreadful practice and the valley of Hinnom came to be used as a place where human excrement and rubbish, including animal carcasses, were disposed of and burned. The fire of Gehenna never went out and the worms never died. So it came to be used symbolically for the place of divine judgment. End of quote. Jesus teaches that hell is the place of divine punishment not the idea or concept of divine punishment so number one Jesus teaches that hell is true number two hell is terrible hell is terrible let's look again at verses 43 and 48 if your hand causes you to sin cut it off it's better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go into hell where the fire never goes out The fire never goes out. Verse 48, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Is hell literally a place of fire and worms? I don't know. But I do know that Jesus teaches that hell is terrible. Jesus is certainly using some very horrifying images in his description of hell. Turn your Bibles to Matthew 13. We'll look at verses 49 and 50. It's on page 970 in the Pew Bible. Matthew 13, verses 49 and 50. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous. Again, this is Jesus speaking. And throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Again, Jesus uses some gruesome and terrifying images to describe hell. Is hell literally a fiery furnace? Again, I don't know. But I do know that Jesus makes it clear that hell is terrible. What will hell be like? Here are my thoughts. These are my thoughts, not the Bible's thoughts. Maybe hell will be like hip replacement surgery without anesthesia. Some are laughing because you know a year ago I went through hip replacement surgery. I don't think that's even close. Take the worst physical pain you've ever experienced, the worst emotional pain you've ever lived through. Now multiply it by a hundred, or a thousand, or a million, or a billion. Hell is infinitely greater than any pain anyone has ever experienced. Because in hell, people will be totally cut off from God and all that is good. Alone, in constant, unending, unrelenting physical and emotional agony. Billy Joel sang, I'd rather laugh with the sinners than cry with the saints. The sinners are much more fun, but there won't be any laughter in hell. Maybe you've heard people say half jokingly, oh, I'd rather go to hell. That's where all the fun people are going to be. Nothing could be further from the truth. Jesus teaches that hell is torment. Hell is terror filled. Jesus uses images of fire, gnashing of teeth, and worms not dying. Hell is true. Hell is terrible. And thirdly, hell is timeless. Hell is timeless. Turn to Matthew chapter 25, if you would. We're going to look at verses 31 through 46. Jesus' teaching on the sheep and the goats. It's on page 984 in the Pew Bible. Matthew 25, starting at verse 31. I'm going to read this whole thing. I was just going to pick out a few verses, but I'm going to let God's Word speak. Although this really is a passage... It could be a complete sermon or even a series of sermons. We're just going to touch on its relevance to hell this morning. But listen for God's word. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His throne in heavenly glory and all the nations will be gathered before Him and He will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on His right and the goats on His left. Then the King will say to those on His right, Come, you who are blessed by My Father, take your inheritance... When do we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. A powerful teaching. Again, I just want to look at how this relates to the doctrine of hell. So if, Let's look back uh, to verse 41. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Emphasis on the word eternal. Eternal fire. And again in verse 46. Then they will go away to eternal punishment. Eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. To John Stott, Clark Pinnock and others who teach annihilationism it doesn't stand up to Jesus' teaching hell is not temporary punishment but rather eternal unending punishment now I don't like the thought of people I love spending eternity in hell but it's not what I think that determines the truth it's what our Lord Jesus Christ teaches And here, Jesus teaches that hell is eternal, timeless punishment, punishment without end. Hell is true. Hell is terrible. Hell is timeless. And finally, hell is tenanted. Tenanted. There are tenants. There are people there. Turn with me back a few pages to Matthew chapter 7. Again, looking at Jesus' teachings. We'll look at verses 13 and 14. It's on page 961 in your pew Bible. Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Jesus says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Let me read that again. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Jesus is not an universalist. Nowhere does Jesus teach that everyone goes to heaven, or that all paths lead to heaven. In fact, Jesus teaches quite the opposite. Jesus teaches that many are on the road to destruction and many enter through the gates of hell. Hell is not empty. Rather, relative to heaven, hell has an overpopulation problem. According to Jesus, far fewer people discover the path that leads to heaven than travel the path that leads to destruction. The agnostics, atheists, universalists, and annihilationists are not in harmony with Jesus Christ's teachings on hell. Here at South Baptist Church, we hold to the Orthodox Christian view that unbelievers suffer eternally in hell. We hold to this view not because we like this position and certainly not because we like to be thought of as narrow-minded and intolerant. We hold to the Orthodox Christian position Because this is what we believe the Lord Jesus Christ teaches. Hell is true. Hell is terrible. Hell is timeless. And hell is tenanted. So just because I believe it doesn't mean that I have to preach on it. Jeremy told me I could preach on anything I wanted to preach on. And I chose hell. So why preach on a topic as repulsive and terrible as hell? Well, I know of at least three good reasons. Reason number three. Take them in reverse order. Saving the best for last. Reason number three. One reason to preach on hell is that those who are on their way to hell may turn to Jesus Christ and flee the terror that so justly awaits them. One good reason to preach on hell is some people need to to hear the truth and reality of hell so that they'll get off that broad path leads to destruction and get on the narrow path, the narrow road that leads to eternal life. If today you're on the broad road that leads to destruction, take comfort from these famous words from Jimmy Page and Robert Plant. Yes, there are two paths you can go by, but in the long run, there's still time to change the road you're on. How many of you can hear that and not sing in your head, Stairway to Heaven? I can tell how old you are. There's still time to change the road you're on. Today, while you're still in the land of the living, there is time to change the road you're on. How does one leave the path of destruction and enter onto the narrow road that leads to eternal life? A, B, C. A, you need to admit that you have a problem. You need to admit that you are a sinful person, rebellious towards God. Wanting to live life your own way, not God's way. Jesus, in Matthew 5, 48, gives us a standard. And the standard is perfection. He says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. We need to admit that we're not perfect. We need to admit that we've messed it up. We've made bad decisions and bad choices that have hurt us and hurt others. But more than that, we've rebelled against God. We don't want His leadership in our lives. We may pay Him lip service... But we want to live life on our own terms. The Bible calls this sin. We need to admit that we're in rebellion towards God and that we justly and rightly deserve the punishment of hell, eternal separation and torment. That's what we deserve. That's what we earn for our rebellion. That's the starting point to getting on the narrow path, to admit that we're sinful and that we deserve hell. And then B, we need to believe We need to believe that Jesus Christ lived a perfect life and died on a cross, a hard wooden Roman cross. He died on that cross to pay the penalty for our sin. That Jesus Christ took our place, took our punishment. That Jesus Christ went through hell so that we don't have to go to hell. That the penalty and punishment that I deserve, Jesus Christ took. We need to believe that Jesus Christ is our atoning sacrifice. The sacrificial, atoning death, the substitutionary death of Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ takes the punishment that I deserve. We need to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And finally, we need to confess. We need to confess that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is boss. Romans 10.9 says, If we confess with our lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised Him from the dead, we'll be saved. We need to confess and make Jesus the Lord and boss of our lives. We no longer live the way we want to, but we go where He wants us to go and do what He wants us to do. If you want to get off the path that leads to destruction, I'll offer up a model prayer at the conclusion of this message. If you pray this prayer... if you'd like to find out more about how to get on the road to eternal life please come up front after the service there'll be some folks at the front including Pastor Seth myself and, and some folks who will come out at the end of the service who would love to talk with you more and explain in greater detail how one gets off of the broad path that leads to destruction and onto the narrow road that leads to eternal life I plead with you don't leave church this morning until you're certain that if you were to die today in an accident driving home, that you would not go to hell. Hell is so terrible, and eternity is so long, it's not worth the risk. Turn to Jesus Christ today. Get on the narrow road. Why preach hell? The number three reason is that those who are on the way to hell may turn to Jesus Christ and flee the terror that so justly awaits them. The number two reason, now for the believers in the congregation, those of us who are certain that thanks to Jesus Christ, we're on the narrow road that leads to eternal life. The number two reason to preach hell is for us who are already on this road to take more seriously the extent of God's grace. I want to give all the followers of Christ here this morning a big hug. Before you get nervous, it's an acrostic. If you look in the back of your sermon notes, the hug is an acrostic. H. If we believe what Jesus teaches about hell, we should show genuine and sincere humility. Picture two death row murderers. They've been tried, convicted, they're guilty, they're waiting to be executed. They've just received a pardon from the governor. Now picture these men boasting to each other about how they don't smoke cigarettes, how they never miss chapel and Bible study, how they don't use profane language, and how they wish all the other inmates in the prison were more like they are. Kind of absurd, isn't it? They're guilty murderers. It's only by the grace of the governor that they're not going to be executed. Now let's go to the church and meet those who claim that we deserve not just the death penalty, but hell, eternal punishment. In the same breath that we claim we are miserable, forgiven sinners who deserve hell, we go on to boast about our superior lifestyle, our faithful attendance of weekly Bible study, never-missing worship on Sunday morning, our righteous political beliefs. Do we really view ourselves as unworthy people who have been spared hell by God's divine favor and grace. If so, this should be reflected in humility and not self-righteousness. The next time we're thinking well of our own righteousness, let's remind ourselves of the hell that we really deserve, apart from God's grace in Jesus Christ. H, humility. U, urgency. Urgency. I understand that in his sermon from this pulpit uh, last week, Danny Cross used an illustration in which he said that everybody is on one of two elevators. You're either on an elevator that's going up to heaven, or you're on an elevator going down to hell. I wasn't here; I was away at a camp with high school students, but that's what I was told. So, was that was anyone here? Was that correct information? Uh, would it make any difference if we truly believed the people who are without Christ? Are stuck on an elevator speeding toward eternal punishment. Who do you know that's dying to hear the good news of Jesus Christ? If we don't tell them, who will? If hell is true, terrible, timeless, and tenanted, then we have a most urgent message. If we believe what Jesus teaches about hell, we should be people of humility with a deep sense of urgency. H, humility, U, urgency. G, gratitude. No matter what you're facing right now, and I know some folks in our congregation are facing extremely difficult things, life-threatening illnesses, divorce, unemployment, physical abuse, emotional abuse, financial crises, personal bankruptcies, warring relatives, rebellious teenagers. I know some of you are facing them. Raising children with special needs. Lawsuits. The loss of a child. The possibility of prison. Everything the world can throw at us pales in comparison with the possibility of spending eternity in hell. Let me repeat that. Everything the world can throw at us pales in comparison with the possibility of spending eternity in hell. We deserve... Eternal torment and punishment. Instead, through faith in Jesus Christ, we look forward to eternal reward, unending worship and celebration. Are we grateful? If we believe that hell is true, terrible, timeless, and tenanted, and that it's what we rightly deserve for our rebellion against the holy and righteous God, then no matter how bleak our current Situation looks, we have much to be grateful for. Do we thank God every day for our salvation? That through Jesus Christ's death and resurrection, God has saved us from hell? Or do we pay lip service to being thankful for our salvation? Can we stand with Habakkuk and declare, though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, and the field produces no food? Though there are no sheep in the pen, no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. Hell is heaven's great foil. If we truly believe what Jesus Christ teaches about hell, we who profess to follow Jesus Christ should be people of humility who live lives with a sense of urgency and who have extremely grateful hearts. Finally, saving the best for last, the number one reason for preaching a sermon on hell is to bring God glory. The most important reason for preaching a sermon on the orthodox Christian view of hell is not that it leads people onto the narrow path or that it encourages those already on the path to be humble, urgent, and grateful, but simply that it brings glory to God. God is God, and God can and will do whatever God wants to do. God's the potter. We're the clay. We have no business telling God that we don't like the way He set up His system of judgment and punishment. It's not for us to decide. God has every right to declare us objects of His wrath and to sentence us to eternal punishment. God is God. He can do with His creatures whatever He chooses. By declaring us objects of wrath and destruction, God has made known the riches of His glory. Salvation from hell in Jesus Christ. The riches of God's glory. Salvation from hell in Jesus Christ. The orthodox doctrine of hell brings the greatest glory to God. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 9 says, Verses 22 and 23 expresses this beautifully when he wrote, What if God, choosing to show His wrath and make His power known, bore with great patience the objects of His wrath, that would be us, prepared for destruction? What if He did this to make the riches of His glory known to the objects of His mercy, whom He prepared in advance for glory? Please join me in prayer. I'll give us a minute or so of silence in the quiet of our hearts. Let's give glory to God as we express how grateful we are that God, in the person and work of Jesus Christ, has saved us from eternal punishment in hell. I'll end our time of silent prayer by leading a model prayer for anyone here this morning who wishes at this time to get off the broad road that leads to destruction and begin walking the narrow path that leads to eternal life. Let's pray. If you want to leave the broad road of destruction and enter the narrow path, here's a model prayer. If it's your heartfelt conviction, you pray this prayer. I admit that I'm a sinner and deserving of God's terrible, timeless punishment in hell. I believe Jesus Christ lived a perfect life, died on a cross to pay the penalty for my sin, and rose from the grave on the third day. I confess that Jesus Christ is my new Lord, the new boss of my life. And I put my hope for eternal life in Him and Him alone. From this day forward, I will follow Jesus Christ on the narrow road that leads to eternal life. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. May all glory be to God. And the people of the Lord said, Amen. Amen. Praise team will come. and. Lead us in a, a final worship song. And if you've prayed this prayer in your heart, please come forward. We want to give you some, some, uh, some more information and some further clarification and, and pray with you uh, about this decision that you've made.
1: Let's uh, stand together. We want to worship the Lord who uh,
0: has saved us from the fate we deserve. And uh, thanks, Rich, for sharing those difficult words, but words of truth. And our our response, when we see what what God has saved us from and has uh, shed his blood for us to save us from an eternity away from him, our response is to bow down and worship him. Let's declare him to be our great God this morning.
1: not one of us, God is not an American, he reigns over all the nations, he doesn't owe us anything, we owe him everything, God is not tame, he doesn't answer all our questions, but he is glorious, he's righteous, he's true, he's faithful. After the service we have a couple members of the prayer team here, Colby and Barbara, uh, I'm here. Rich is here. We'd love to share with you more. As Rich said, come on, let's, let's talk. There's something we can pray for you about, uh, something, some burden that we can share. We'd love to do that. Go in peace. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for your gracious love toward us. We thank you that you have given us this love, you who are just, you who are righteous, you who are pure. Father, you are holy holy. No one can approach you. You are truly the terrifying God, the God whom all the nations fear. But Father, we thank you that you've come to us graciously in the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, help us to take these things to heart and to live lives pleasing to you in fear of God, in urgency to take the good news to others, in gratitude and uh, giving glory to you. O glorious Lord. Open our eyes to see.